0: And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here from Golf.com. Joined as always by Andrew Turski from Golf.com. Andrew, what's up, man?
1: Episode Hondo, baby.
0: We did it. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty hard to believe. We'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Chris is not here. He's got a reason that he's not here this week. He's celebrating his 39th birthday in Hawaii. ties Tai's plenty. beaches, lots of sleep. Well-deserved vacation for him. Happy birthday, Chris! Living the dream. Happy birthday, man! Yeah, yeah, for sure. Living the dream. I think we could all enjoy a couple of weeks in Hawaii, island hopping. But episode one hundred, man, it's it's crazy. You you came on. We we were looking at this before we started this week's episode. You came on in episode thirty-one. So you've been here for how many episodes have you been here for?
1: Sixty-nine. Nice. Sixty-nine.
0: Nice. Nice. <laughs> What a way
1: to start this episode. <laughs>
0: Nobody's going to listen to the rest now. Real mature. And you know what? Uh, it, it is. It, it is really surreal that we've made it this far <laughs> to episode 100. Um, you know, I was going to write something up, just, just kind of some of my thoughts, but I thought I'd just riff on this. You know, I go back to when I first started at golf. And, um, you know, when I first started this podcast, it was just me. You know, I knew I wanted to, to interview interesting people within the industry, uh, get their takes, you know, have them tell some great stories from over the years, and uh, you know, we did that initially, and it was it was fun. But there's something about the kind of the casual back and forth banter that just really comes through on a podcast, and I think that sort of resonates with with a lot of the the folks that have continued to listen to us over the last 100 episodes, and and that kind of started when Tim Briand came on, and you know, the professor. It's funny, I started that nickname. I started calling him the professor (laughs) and it stuck like people would see him out in public and they're like, ah, the professor. And it was just like, man, I can't believe that people are listening to the point where they know this guy, but they know his nickname. Um, And, you know, Tursky came on board and Tim eventually left to go to Foresight. And Chris has filled in. I mean, it's like we haven't skipped a beat with the three of us. Um, you know, this podcast is a labor of love. It's a weekly thing. You know, we do a pre-production meeting on Tuesdays with producer Mark, and we kind of just go through the week's topics, record on Wednesdays, pod comes out on Thursday. It, it, is, it is amazing that we have enough, I would say, that's the one thing that always worries me is that we, are, are we going to have enough to talk about? And it seems like every week, the gear space produces at least a couple of stories that are worth talking about course, coming off the open championship, there's a lot to talk about, but it, it just goes to show that one people love gear. It, it is, it is a micro audience within a, a niche sport, but people do love equipment. They love learning more about their own gear. They love learning more about what the players are using and just kind of having us just go through some of the insights that, that we're seeing from some of these changes and some of the new products that are coming out. So um, all that is to say just thank you. To the listeners, you know, w- without without y'all, this podcast is not even possible. Thank you for continuing to listen, for continually reaching out to us with questions, um, just the positivity, which is what I absolutely love. Constantly getting DMs on social media, just saying, "Hey, love love the pod, listen to it religiously, listen to it." You know, I look forward to it coming out every Thursday. That kind of stuff, sort of like, just kind of amps me up. I I I struggle, you know, socially. I'm socially awkward you know, which makes this podcast difficult for me. I remember first coming on and I was just anxious trying to do this pod because I'm like, oh my gosh, who's going to be listening to this? Um, but you guys continue to help me kind of open up a little bit more and, and kind of show my personality. And uh, it's great to do it with good people. Love Tursky. You know, I felt like that was a game changer bringing him on at golf. Chris has been an unbelievable addition to the podcast. So again, thank you for listening and we'll
1: we'll definitely keep it going. That's very well said, man. Very well said. Um, for me, the the podcast is just like fun. I, I love having a space every week where we can just talk about kind of what we would talk about anyway. And to have listeners who care, they hit us up with questions, you know, we engage with them. Um, like you said, that just provides us so much energy to keep going and really want to do it every week. And we have a great team too. Like you mentioned, Chris and yourself and myself, we also have producer Mark and Zach Cederholm, who does not get enough credit ever, but he does all he does our not. video and our sound. Um, so huge shout out to, to our team to make it all possible every week. And we're just going to keep, keep trucking on, having fun. And as long as you guys love it, we're going to love doing it.
0: You're here, here. So we've been teasing this episode for a little while. We actually did the interview, um, what about a month ago?
1: Yeah, it was like a I month ago like- now. I feel like it's been about a month. It seems um, like forever ago. I mean, what a week that was. I know, I know.
0: Yeah, it was. It was an awesome week. <coughs> so this week's interview is going to be a long one. It is Alice Cooper, rock legend. legend, the legend, one of the nicest guys. I mean, Tursky, we we not only had a chance to interview him um, in Mesa. He he has he has these teen centers, uh, like like a school of rock. I mean, that, that was a movie, but it's it's really what what this is. I mean, mm-hmm. Alice Cooper, everybody knows him as, as the rock legend. He is the the godfather of shock rock. And for people who don't know what shock rock is, I mean, it's basically taking going to a concert and turning it into this massive performance. I mean, there's pyrotechnics, there's light, I mean the lighting, everything about it just makes you feel like you're paying like, what you're paying for is not enough. You should be paying more for that kind of performance. Yeah. Um, but but Alice started this Teen Center, and he talks about it.
2: In, Solid Rock Teen Center. And I won't give centers. away too
0: much. Solid Rock Teen Center. And he ages between 12 and 20. Anybody can come. And he has a recording studio. They have a, a, a ballet studio there. His wife, uh, Juilliard, trained in ballet. She's there actually helping out with the, the, you know, the ballerinas in there. it It's, it's so cool to like, I mean, they even have an art area where they bring in artists that, that help. It's, it's great that he gives back. I think he, what does he have? Like four or five now, I think in, in the like Phoenix, the greater Phoenix area.
1: Yeah. They're expanding in the Phoenix area. I know they have at least two, they have one in Phoenix and one in Mesa. Um, yeah. It's just so, awesome what yeah, they do and, and like the positive energy you have when you walk in there you know, it's all just for such a good cause helping kids out who otherwise wouldn't have that space to go and, you know, really figure out who they are and, you know, expressing their passions and getting help doing it. It's awesome what he's doing over there at the Solid Rock Teen Centers. For sure.
0: It is. So we had a chance to interview him. The interview is 45 minutes, I think. It's it's one of our longer interviews, but it it it's great from beginning to end. He tells an, a couple of amazing stories in there. That uh, that I'll never forget. But we had the chance to go play golf with him the next day. <laughs> so so Chris Chris is is buddies has been buddies with with Coop is what he calls him and we I, mean, I was calling him Coop on the golf course. It just kind of felt weird, but like everybody else was doing it, so I'm yeah. gonna you know I'm gonna follow along and call this rock legend Coop. And Chris is like, hey, we're gonna go play golf, and and Tursky and I were like, hey, what yeah, what time? Five thirty a.m. And I'm like, before the you? first tee
1: time, not even the first tee time Before the yeah, first, before tea time.
0: the first tee time, they were, they were still out there on one finishing up on the green. And uh, yeah, we, we teed it up. That's the earliest I've ever started playing 5.30 AM. And we were done by basically breakfast time. I mean, like nine 30, I think just before nine 30. I mean, it was, it was a fast round, a couple of groups. We had a blast, you know, Alice told, some more stories, but I think the coolest part about hanging out with him is it doesn't feel like you're hanging out with a rock star. It feels like you're just hanging out with a dude that loves golf. Um, And he tells these stories about hanging out with, with Sinatra and Jimi Hendrix, Yeah, and, but he doesn't do it in in a, in a brag. He, he's not bragging. It's he's not just, name dropping. He's just like
1: sharing yeah. great stories that he's experienced. Yeah, it's through the years. just,
0: it's amazing, it was amazing to have him just share some of those stories when we were out on the golf course. Um, I asked him about when he was on Wayne's World and, and he told, that was actually one of my favorite stories from the round, I was just, we were sitting, standing there on the putting green and I was like, what was, what was it like being on Wayne's World? Uh, Cause you know, I mean, everybody who's seen Wayne's World knows the scene where they you know, get down on their knees we're not worthy. <laughs> We're not worthy. And you know, Alice told me that he was only supposed to perform on on the set. And Mike Myers comes up to him and he's like, "Hey, Alice, um, yeah, I, I know you've you've done some stuff on on you know in the theater before, and uh, I wanted, was wondering if you could do a couple lines." And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And so he literally hands him this stack of papers. And Alice is looking through it and it's like, this isn't a couple of lines, like this is a few scenes. And um, he's like, yeah, well, okay, great. When are we gonna do this? And he's like, yeah, we're gonna shoot here in about 30 minutes. So Coop tells me that he literally riffed on a lot of that stuff. I mean, he kind of looked over what Mike had said, but it was just him kind of going with it. And and I thought that was really cool that like really none of that was scripted. It was just kind of Alice being Alice
1: love that story. I love those stories in movies, like no matter what, when it's like, it wasn't really scripted and they kind of just impromptu went with it. Um, I know Caddyshack is a pretty famous scene with, with Chevy chase and Bill Murray, uh, where he takes the drop. (laughs) That stuff just always kills me. I love those behind the scenes stories, but yeah, playing, playing with coop, he just loves golf. Like he is, he's a golf obsessed guy. He's one of those guys you kind of just get paired up with that immunity he's just like super nice he's got uh all wedge woods in the bag he doesn't have irons so he has fairway woods for his like 4 through pitching wedge he's just a really unique guy man it was it was such a great experience in hearing all those stories uh he's actually really really good at golf too hits this nice tight draw and doesn't really miss he doesn't miss fairways he doesn't miss shots um he I love doesn't the- miss like, yeah, that's yeah a good way to point it still you know he's kind of just out there having fun like doesn't complain any about anything, just not a care in the world. And then after the round, he comes in, eats breakfast with us. Fans are coming up to him. He's just as nice as can be, telling stories, having a great time, and signing some stuff for us, which is pretty cool. We'll yeah. get to that in a second.
0: So why don't we get to that? So this this is episode one hundred. We wanna we wanna kind of give back in a way and say thank you for for listening all the way up to episode one hundred. We feel like we owe you we feel like we owe you guys something. So. We have a couple of giveaways that are gonna be posted. One of them is actually already posted. The other one will be posted, I guess, with Thursday, so tomorrow, when, when, the, when the podcast drops. But the first one is, is, as Tursky mentioned, we have two Callaway Chrome Soft golf balls that were signed by Alice Cooper. We're giving those away on the Instagram page. We're Fully Equipped, we're at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. All you gotta do is go on to our Instagram page, make sure you're following us. And if you're not, you're crazy. Why are you even listening to this podcast (laughs) and true spec golf? And then you need to tag a friend. And if you do that, you're going to get a chance to win one of these signed golf balls. We're going to be giving them away. So that is,
1: that's the first part. They are legit signed by uh, Alice Cooper too. I watched him sign them with my own eyeballs. So I can't say
0: Tursky Ter- Ters- can attest. He, he was the one who handed the balls over to, to Alice. We, we went into the pro shop and bought some Chrome softs. The reason why we bought Callaway's is because, and, and Alice talks about this, he was Callaway's first staffer. Um, I'm not sure how many people know that. And and he talked about his rele- relationship with, with Callaway founder, Ely Callaway. Um, a lot of r- cool stories there that I didn't ever know, and they they seem so different when you think about their their personas, but they are a lot alike in kind of how they were innovators in their in their own spaces. So uh, we have the we have the signed golf balls from Alice Cooper. The other one that'll be posted on the golf.com. It's at golf underscore com c o m on their t- Instagram page. We're going to be giving away a Callaway Epic driver. Thanks a whole driver for a, you're going to get a driver. You're going to be able to get your specs. We're not just giving you one out of the stash. You're going to be able to connect up with Callaway. If you win, get your specs to them. They'll build build you a driver. Um, we do appreciate Callaway providing us with this driver for the giveaway for episode 100. Um, you know there are a bunch of options in the Callaway lineup. Uh, you know, Tursky and I both fit into the Epic Max LS, which is geared for, you know, higher ball speed guys with who also need lower spin. Um, You know, Alice is a guy who's going to fit more into like the Epic Max, which is ball speed and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, on tour, they've got the triple diamond, which is a really popular option for guys like John Rom, Xander Shoffley, Phil Mickelson, who won with that 47.9 inch, you know, (laughs) basically like, five and a half degree driver. You don't so, have to use
1: it that long, but you the don't, head is an you option. don't.
0: Yeah. So if you want to, you know, figure out which driver works for you, if you win the giveaway, go over to callawaygolf.com, check out all the options. You know, one of the things that I do love is that Callaway gives you those options. It's not just like here are two options. They, they do give you options for even trying out stuff that is, you know, closer to what you're seeing out on tour. That's one of the things that I feel like golfers always complain about is, you know, they get the retail stuff, but they want the stuff that's closer to the tour. You know, Callaway does a great job at listening to feedback from the their tour pros and then kind of trying to integrate that into the new driver product. So again, thank you to Callaway for offering up the driver and uh, I'm pretty sure that one's gonna generate a lot of interest when it when it goes live on social media. So again, check out golf.com on Instagram, get all the details. And uh, a couple giveaways right there, man. Giveaways, man.
1: Free stuff. People love free Everybody stuff. Everybody loves
0: free stuff. We love Everybody giving away free stuff.
1: stuff, you know? Make the people we do, happy. We should have to do, we listen should do to us week it. after week. You know, it's, yeah, it's about time we hook them up.
0: Listen, so. Listening to me ramble on and on. I, I think people deserve <laughs> some free stuff for that. All right. So after all the thank yous for episode 100, let's get into the meat of it. Open championship. We have a winner, Colin Morikawa. Um, I'll give you this hot take. And I told this to Turski yesterday when we were doing our pre-production meeting. I, I think Colin is the closest thing I've seen to Tiger Woods. Big words. Since Tiger came on to the scene.
1: I'm I not saying you're wrong either. Thing, Tiger. It's just big words.
0: Can I can i tell you why I think this so Wait. I was I was watching him going down the stretch on 14 on Sunday you know and and winning a winning a major winning a pj Tour event is not easy and I'm watching him go down the stretch on Sunday critical part of the stretch I mean he made a big putt there on 14 makes another big putt on 15. and I looked at him and I'm like this guy's gonna win it He's, he's still so young. It's his first time ever playing the Open Championship. And I just had that feeling of, of this guy's gonna win it. And I, have, I haven't I have had that sensation since I watched Tiger where it's like, you see a guy and you just know he's like, he's in control. If you're gonna beat him kind of like Tiger when he had a lead, you're gonna have to go catch him. This, this was not a guy that was gonna falter down the stretch. And and again, that's where I got that tiger vibe from is just this guy is kind of unflappable in big situations. He he just makes those big putts when he has to make them. Um, he hit the big shots down the stretch. Uh, yeah, I think he's the closest thing to Tiger since Tiger was around.
1: See, I would say mentally, Tiger's like an absolute killer down the stretch. I think I think Collins more just like unflappable because He hits the ball so well, like he doesn't miss with irons. He's one of the best ball strikers out there. Now, obviously, people are going to chirp you because it's like Tiger was one of the most dominant drivers, one of the most dominant putters. Like, I think basically what you're saying is that Colin, when the moment is big, he's just unflappable because he doesn't miss shots and he's going to like hit it to 12 feet just all day on your head once he gets the lead and he's not going to give anything up. He did have a couple really impressive up and downs and like you said some big putts. Um big putts. And it's it's early to call Colin Tiger, but he's the best iron player just, we've seen since.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that 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 says a lot about it. You know, we we talk all the time about how you're going to, you know, have a big advantage when you're driving it longer off the tee. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's not bryson long we'll get to bryson here in a minute he's not um, deep but he's not deep off the tee but, deep, he the, but he plays that he plays that
1: cut that doesn't miss it's almost more reliable than yeah. tiger with the driver yeah
0: yeah he's just he's just so like freakishly consistent um you know I, we've talked about it before just calling back in in college at at uc berkeley and he gets yeah. on the track man and they find out that his dispersion with a six iron is equivalent to like elite players with a pitching wedge. Insanity. I mean, that's just like stupid consistency right there. And I've heard it from other guys since then. Like I've talked to uh, guys like, you know, Adrian Reitfeld, who's a tailor-made tour rep. Uh, Ryan Ressa, who's another guy that's, that's worked with Morikawa mm-hmm. going back to his time in college. And these guys all, you know, they all vouch for these stories. Like it's not just folklore, it's real. Um so yeah, I'm gonna get chirped at for sure, but but I do. I, I think I think he's got kinda that that special something. There's something about him. I don't know what it is, but but it's just he he knows how to he knows how to like rise to the occasion in the big moments. I mean a guy wins his first PGA, <laughs> he wins his first open championship. I mean that's that's not a fluke. You know, not especially nowadays with so many great players out there, you don't just win your first time playing these majors without having that hit factor.
1: He's such a nice kid too. Like in his yes. post-game press conference and his speech after he's just so down to earth. He like has things in perspective really well too. You know, I mean, he's, he's thanking yeah. everyone. He, he thanks his girlfriend, gives his girlfriend a, a shout out. He's just like a really nice kid, man. One of those kids you want to pull yeah. for.
0: For sure. No, I, I agree. And friend of the percent. show he may, he, also. Friend of the pod. We've, we've, we've had him on before. Uh, a couple of times, actually. Hopefully, we're going to be able to get him on um, again here really soon. I was talking to some of the folks over at TaylorMade, and we're going we're gonna to try and get Colin on post-Open Championship win and, and kind of get his thoughts on some of the changes because he did make some interesting changes, Tursky. You know, so one insane- of the ones that...
1: So what? Insanely like specific changes that no one else would be able to pick up on in the world. Y-
0: yeah. I mean, these these are... <laughs> I mean, so the the ones that people did pick up on you know Colin did go from the Sim2 driver back into the original Sim. Yep. Um, you know that's that's a visual one that people can see. The ones that you couldn't see were as you mentioned the the really specific changes. One of them is is more obvious and that was the change that he made to his tailor-made TP Juno putter. So typically and it doesn't matter which course in the open road or they play the greens the greens historically are on the slower side I mean unless it's unless you get like a year where it's and we've seen it a couple of times I I go back to the one of the years that Tiger won um won the open I think it was just after his dad had passed Mm -hmm. and it was so baked out I mean he hit like two irons all week long and those things were just rolling out like literally an extra hundred yards you know those those, you're gonna have those weeks where the greens are baked and it's gonna be really firm for the most part the, the greens have historically been on the slower side. And one of the changes that we've seen players make is adding weight to their putter head. So this is something that I think that that a lot of golfers might be able to benefit from. If you play on a golf course with greens that are on the slower side, maybe they don't cut them as often. Um, one of the things that you can do if you have an adjustable putter, meaning adjustable weighted putter. So some putters out there now have heel and toe weights that can be removed so that you can you know, dial in your head weight so that it fits your stroke, but it can also benefit you in situations like this where the greens are slow. So Colin went from a TP Juno with two, two and a half gram weights. So two and a half grams in the heel, two and a half grams in the toe to 7.5 gram weight. So he added an extra 10 grams to his head. And the reason why he did this was to kind of counteract the slower greens. Going to a heavier head is gonna help you get some additional rollout. One of the things that he had noticed the week prior in Scotland where a lot of his putts were ending up short of the hole. And that was a pretty good indicator for him of, look, okay, this is a kind of a test run on a, on, you know, sort of a link style course. I'm definitely not getting the ball to the hole with the same regularity I, as I am on the PGA tour. Let's bump up the head weight and, and go to a heavier head. And that really seemed to help him out with his consistency because he's like I said, he made a bunch of big putts on the stretch.
1: You can do it with lead tape too. Now, to get to 10 grams, you're going to have to put a bunch of lead tape, but, you know, you can throw it on the sole. Um, You don't really want to move the CG, like, heel or toeward, so make sure, like, in general, the weight is getting added, mostly to the center of the head. But um, I don't think enough guys were making this change because those greens were slow, and it seemed like a lot of those guys did not make the adjustment. A lot of short putts. I, I know John Rahm, after his Sunday round, he was just like, yeah, I mean, I left a bunch of putts short this week. It's like, yeah, we watched, man. We thought you were going to make the adjustment, and you just never did. But Colin and Spieth, they both uh, they both putted pretty well, pretty aggressively. And yeah, we didn't, didn't those see those were
0: the top didn't two. Did with with any any lead tape? Um, you know, he doesn't he change that He Won part. an Open Championship. Yeah, he doesn't make any change. He knows. Yeah, Tiger has over the years. Tigers Tigers added lead tape to to his, to his specifically for the Open at, at the Open. Yeah, specifically, and that was yeah. where like. Uh, in 19 when he added it to the cavity and then he came back. Um, and a lot of people noticed that the, the red cherry bomb in the cavity, that little red circle, the paint was missing. It was because when you add that lead tape, it can, depending on how long you leave it there, it can remove paint from, you know, paint fill from the cavity. So it's one of the drawbacks, one of the things you kind of have to take into account, but that's, uh, I'm sure that's a thing that Tiger probably doesn't mind is, uh, is losing the paint there. I'm sure Scotty can help him out.
1: Yeah, he's got a nice hookup over there at Scotty Cameron. Yeah. Decent,
0: decent, decent <laughs> hookup. So that was that was one of the more interesting ones. The, this last one that Morikawa made was the next level change, and we detailed mm-hmm. this on Golf.com. Uh, you can go back and check it out if you didn't see the story. I had a chance to talk to to Adrian Reedfelt, TaylorMade Tour rep. He was actually over in Scotland. Uh, and they're at the Open Championship, and you know he worked with Colin on on his iron. So one of the things that Colin had noticed was he just wasn't getting the same consistent contact as he had been getting prior to coming over to Scotland. Um, you know, and this is one of those things where I would say, you know, Morikawa being freakish when it comes to his feels and the things that he notices. Uh, this is this is just like. I would say, and Adrian agreed, like the only guy that I could think of that might be able to pick up on something like this would be Tiger. Just that, like, just a different feel through the turf. And that was what he was noticing. And so they did some work and Morikawa going into the week was in a piece, TaylorMade P7MC, the cavity back model in the five and six. And then he was in P730, which is the muscle back blade in the seven through nine, or sorry, the seven through pitching wedge. So they start doing work on the range and Adrian says that immediately he notices just from the, all the time that he spent working with Colin, it just doesn't sound Colin-like when he starts out hitting the P730s. Um, so one of the things that that Adrian had asked Colin kind of going into the, pra- the test session on that Monday of the Open Championship was, he said, how are you hitting your six iron? Now this is important because you know, we talk all the time about mixed sets. Like, how do you figure out, like, where do you break up the set, um, you know? And, and a lot of that goes down to like the lofts. You need to make sure that the lofts are pretty consistent throughout because that's gonna make sure your gapping is correct. But there are some times when you go through and, you know, just the sole geometry might make the club go differently through the, through the turf. And so the reason that Adrian asked him how a six iron was is because the six iron for Colin is that P7MC. And he said, look, I hit that one great. So Adrian goes, well, why don't we test the seven through nine? He actually was seven through pitching wedge initially, but he stuck with the P730 pitching wedge in the end just because it still, there wasn't a noticeable difference. But in the P7MC's in that cavity back in the seven through nine, he just started flushing it. And Adrian said, then the sound started coming back. Um, and that for Colin was was huge. That, that consistent contact for him, and a lot of it had to do with just the firmer turf. It actually, and this was kind of cool, Tursky. So typically Morikawa said that the P7 MC, when he tries the seven through nine at a tour event, typically that comes out of a lower window for him. Um, and the P730s come out of a higher window. Well, because of the firm conditions at Royal St. George's, it was the reverse. So Morikawa saw a higher launch with the P7MC, which is what he wanted, and a slightly lower launch with, with the 730s So that was that was one thing that he was looking for. And the reason he was looking for that was because the week prior, he was having trouble with trying to get that that, you know, that little bit of a draw spin. So when you're trying to spin it like that with draw spin, you're going to lose some spin naturally. But for Morikawa with the P730s, he was in like the 62 to 6,300 range with a seven iron. Whereas typically if he's spinning a seven iron with just a straight ball at 7,000, if, you know, with the MC, he was seeing 6,600 spin when he was trying to hit that like slightly lower draw So that's, you know, we're talking about 400 RPMs. And when you're talking about a guy who's that precise with the irons, that's important. That allows him to go from, you know, accounting for an extra three to four yards the week prior in Scotland to going down to 6,600, you're able to just say, okay, that's a fractional difference. If I'm aiming at the flag with that kind of shot, I don't have to account for an extra three to four yards, which is a lot, again, with with a pro. So some interesting changes for him. He went to the P7 MCs. In the seven, eight, and nine, so it was actually five, six, seven, eight, nine for the MCs. But the interesting thing is, is it that might only end up being a one-week change. Adrian said that Morikawa was going to take the seven thirties with him to the Olympics, and he said there was a pretty good chance he was going to put him back in the bag just because, like, he knows that setup. As long as you know the club's going through the turf correctly with the right launch and spin, that's all that matters. So we might have a guy who might make a change from week to week for right now. I mean, he might, you know, we don't know, but he did say he was going to take the 730s with him and and maybe use
1: them. You have to be so precise and consistent to even notice something like that. I mean, You do. And it also goes to show you how big uh getting fit on turf is, especially with irons because the way the club moves through the ground is so important in iron fitting. Um, Obviously, we just saw it with Colin, but it's also big with with amateurs as well. Like, if you tend to dig really hard, you don't want a sharp leading edge. You want a lot of bounce. You want something with a thick sole that's going to help you help the club move smooth through the turf and get the ball in the air, get that spin right, and you're going to hit it farther too, a little bit more flush. So,
0: so talk about those differences, though, Tursky, I mean, because because Morikawa did see some differences there between the the P7MC and the P730.
1: Yeah, well, the P seven thirty it's it's a blade, so the sole is going to be a little bit thinner, a little bit sharper, right? Yeah,
0: so it's it it is. I mean, the the MC actually is going to have a little less relief and bounce. So that's kind of one of those things that might be a little hard to believe, just simply because it is a cavity back. But if you look at the at the MC compared to the blade. There's not a lot of difference in offset. There's not a lot of difference in profile. Right. Um, we're talking about very minor differences. Even Adrian highlighted that. this is this is slight stuff here. But if you're a golfer that maybe needs a little less bounce, and you're a good player, you might benefit from the P7MC versus the P730. Which might seem a little counterintuitive because you're like, well, I should probably be playing a blade if I'm you know a scratch player, but. Mm-hmm that might not be the case. You might benefit if, again, if you're, you know, somebody who likes that lower bounce.
1: Which is something you're not going to know too, unless you hit it. You're not going to know which one matches up better to your specific swing until you hit both side by side and then compare the divots as well. You know, you want to look at ball flight, you want to look at the numbers, but you also want to look down at the divots after you hit it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting that we're talking about kind of soul geometries because one of the changes that, that I felt like flew under the radar last week was Adam Scott putting two, three irons in the bag. <laughs> That's, we, we've seen it before. I, I mentioned it in, in the weekly gear notes, you know, Cameron Champ did something similar. He had a Ping I-500 four iron and then an I-Blade four iron. And they just served two different purposes for him. One was a little bit hotter, the I-500 a little bit hotter than the I-Blade. Um, and he just found that sticking with a four iron actually was, was the right club as opposed to going to, you know, an I-500 three iron, just again, gapping. Sometimes you have to get a little weird depending on how you deliver the club to the golf ball. And if Chris was here, he could talk a little bit more about that. But sometimes you may not need to go to like the next number up. Maybe again, you're like a Cameron champ and you benefit from having two four irons, even if they're a little bit different in the technology. Um, Adam Scott's was different. He did not go with two different models. He decided to one, go back to the TSI four driver with that graphite design Tour AD DI 8 x shaft that he used to win the 2013 Masters. And then he adds two Titleist T100, the new T100 three irons to the bag. Um, He had one built at two iron loft in length. And he really liked the way that that three iron went through the turf versus going with a different number. Um, So he goes with, you know the three iron at two iron length and loft, and then he decides to fill that three iron gap with just a standard T100 three iron. But again, you know sometimes sometimes just soul geometries. It, it's again if you're if you're an elite player, this probably resonates with you more than if you're like a you know 15 handicap. But these are the things as you become. Um, as you become a better player and you're able to to discern a lot of these really minor changes in gear, turf interaction, um, you know, your dispersion gets tighter. These are the things that you'll start to prioritize, feel being another one of them that I feel like better players really prioritize. So not encouraging those were...
1: everyone gets two, three <laughs> irons in their bag either. I think for yardage gapping in general, you yeah. really want to look at, well, you want to look at ball speed, make sure two clubs are, at least five miles per hour apart, about, and carry. You also want them to be at least you know ten to twelve yards apart because you don't want two clubs in the bag that are serving the same purpose. You know, so when you start down at your wedges, you kind of want five mile per hour ball speed gaps, as we were talking about with uh, Tylus recently. Actually, um, next week we talked to JJ Van Wesenbeek.
3: Did I pronounce we, that,
1: we're, that
0: we're, right? We're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, we. <laughs> Yeah, say it again.
1: No, 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 no. We talked to JJ. <laughs> no, no, no. We talked, to, we talked to JJ about we yardage gapping JJ. next week. So be on the lookout yeah, for we, that. We but, did. Yeah, good, yeah good, you, good, good, Tursky
0: plug. I, but I, I, want you to say his his last name again. Just no, no, no.
1: But uh, yeah, most people should not have two, three arms in the bag. That's a. Let's leave that to. the it. <laughs> <out>. But yardage <laughs> Tursky's gapping. Done. <laughs> oh, Tursky's done.
0: Shout out JJ. Tursky's done. Uh, so the other couple of interesting changes, one was Jordan Spieth going to the new Titleist Team 100. And, you know, Tursky actually did some digging and found out that the last time that he changed irons before he made the change was going back to the 2019 Open Championship when he switched to t 100. We asked JJ about that. Unfortunately... There's, there's nothing, there's nothing really cool there. Like we thought we, we thought maybe there was some reason of like, you know, throwing it into the fire right away at a major, uh, you know,
1: there, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that great. I got it. Which admit. seemed like a thing that Spieth would do. Like, yeah, I want to put them right to the test, right in the fire, yep. but you no, know, <laughs> just a timing thing, just depending on when they're, when they're available and Spieth can make the switch. Yeah.
0: So Spieth was one of the first ones to take a look at these irons back in May, um, there was a, a titles photo shoot with Will Zaltouris, um the week of the at t Byron Nelson, and Spieth got a chance to to kind of take a hit with him and liked him enough that he took a set home and he's been working on them the the previous couple of weeks leading up to the Open Championship and then just said, "Look, they feel good. I'm happy with them. I'm gonna gonna put them in the bag," and I think that speaks to you know the quality. You know, there was a time before. T100 came out where where Jordan was really struggling getting into the new irons and he continued to play 714s for a while and and kind of bouncing back and forth and and that was one of those where i think a lot of a lot of gearheads were noticing that and going oh man if Jordan can get into these irons and he's playing really well uh, you know, maybe I'm not gonna go out and hit them. Maybe I'm gonna stick with my my same speeth irons. And it, as crazy as that sounds, we all look at what the pros play. And in some form or fashion, it will dictate at least a little bit what you end up playing. You know, if you see that your favorite pro is using this and maybe it's an iron that fits your game, there's a pretty good chance that it's gonna be in that you know pecking order of clubs that you go test. You know, and it it might just, again, have to tie back to that player. But one of the interesting things that Jordan did say about the T100, and this is is something that I feel like all golfers can learn from. Um, Jordan said, I don't understand why you'd play any other iron, to be honest, talking about (laughs) titles. Now he's a Titleist staffer, but the reason, what he's saying here is not, I don't understand why you'd play any other iron other than titles. He's saying, I joke around. I'm not good enough to play Blades. But in reality, I think we're just being smarter. I think we're just like, oh, we can actually hit every shot that a blade can hit. I mean, that that's the interesting like snippet right there is Jordan Spieth, multi-time major winner, is admitting that like, look, man, I, I'm not good enough to play blades. I'll take that forgiveness. I'll take, you know, T100 has the workability if you saw the photos that we posted you know, it has reduced offset. You can work the golf ball and you get the forgiveness. Give it to me. I don't want to play a blade.
1: If you're like a two handicap, who's playing a blade right now, that phrase cuts deep because you really got to take a look in the mirror and be like, wait, why am I playing blades if Jordan Spieth just finished second in the open and he's playing with, you know, quote unquote, game improvement style clubs, you know, maybe you want to, uh, hit the range and test out some other irons, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is, it just, it's a good reminder that, that even if you're a, a great ball striker, that there might be benefits to using a smaller cavity back. You know, like look at Colin Murakawa. He, he kind of found his groove with P7MC. That's a smaller cavity back. You know, speeth uses a smaller cavity back in the, the T100. So it, uh, it is, it's a reminder that you don't have to play blades. You can swallow your pride a little bit and play something that still has a small profile, still gives you that workability. It's, uh, it is, it's, it's a great opportunity to to try something that might fit you better. So, hey J-Wall, quick question some
1: proof here for thought. Quick question. What? All yeah. this gear stuff is great. Um, are we going to get into the Bryson drama? Don't worry, I was saving the best. For all right, all right, all right, all right. Fair enough.
0: We're going to definitely get into it. Um, <laughs> other change that I did want to bring up quickly. Justin Rose was one of the pros seen with the new Mizuno Pro 221. Tursky, you did a little bit of a write-up on that. Um, We're just looking at basically photos of of Rose. I think uh, sports marketing surveys, which is basically Daryl's survey, but over on the European Tour posted some photos on their Instagram of the irons. Um, There's not a whole lot you can learn. I mean, it looks like, you know, a beautiful blade. They did a little bit of work to the muscle pad. Uh, looked like there's also a, a 223 and a 225. So looks like Mizuno has some new irons that'll be coming out here pretty soon, maybe, hopefully.
1: With the new uh, cursive Mizuno Pro Script. Well, I guess it's not new. I guess it's old, but you know, I feel like it that's back.
0: that's like a that's like a an an Asia only thing, like that cursive script.
1: Does that mean it, these know... irons are going to come out in the Asian market only, though?
0: Yeah. I don't know. That was that was my question. Is is this? I think is this like in Asia only. I I mean, you would think they would, but I don't know if maybe they started over in Asia and then eventually bring it over to to North America. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect anything this year. I don't think. I think it'll probably be for next year. That's bring it crazy. on over,
1: North American market. Come on, Mizuno. We're all we're always getting
0: sense. we're always getting table scraps from Asia. <laughs> so they 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 get everything before we do, and they get a lot of cool stuff too. Some of even like the retail products have a different look over there that I, that I actually prefer might be one of the only few who actually goes over to the, um, you know, titles, Japan website to see what the, what the irons look like over there. They do look sweet.
1: Get, uh, Sean Zock, one of our golf.com writers. He's- yeah, we should have, we should have him go, go, <laughs> uh, for the Olympics. although I
0: don't think he's going to be able to leave his uh, room at all. That's so, true. Uh, golf, golf, golf. Staff rider Sean Zock. He's headed over right now to to Tokyo for the Olympics. But
2: safe yeah, travels. I, I, from
0: what I've heard, yeah, safe travels. From what I've heard though, it's it's literally golf course hotel room. Nowhere else can't go. So, all right, let's discuss it. I know tursky has been been ready for this one. Um, Colin Morikawa wins the Open Championship last week. But if you follow the gear side of things yes he made some changes but it was not the. It, neither one of the changes the putter or the iron change they pale in comparison to what bryson did last week so if you missed it and i can under, it's understandable because of the time change uh, and you're not on social media uh, bryson went i would say that's the closest thing to scorched earth that that you could Absolutely. that you could do in a post round presser so after his opening round, he shoots one over. Um, a journalist asks him just kind of like, hey, you know, you only hit four fairways today, but you got to take heart in the fact that you're only plus one and still kind of in contention. Um, and Bryson kind of gets straight to the point. He says, yeah, and that's off. what I said yesterday or a couple days ago. If I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great. But with the driver right now, the driver sucks. (laughs) It's not a good face for me and we're still trying Uh, to figure out how to make it good on mishits. I'm living on a razor's edge like I've told people for a long time. When I did get it outside of the fairway, like in the first cut or whatnot, I catch jumpers out of there and I couldn't control my wedges. It's quite finicky for me because it's a golf course that's pretty short. So when I hit driver and it doesn't go in the fairway, it's first cut or whatever, or it's in the hay, it's tough for me to get it out on the green and control that. But when it's in the middle of the ferry, like I had on 18, I was able to hit a nice shot to 11 feet, yada, yada, yada. He's basically just kind of talking about this razor's edge, but he just kind of sums it up with, I can figure out, uh, if I can figure out how to make that driver go straight and figure out the jumpers out of the rough, it would be awesome, I can't figure it out. And he kind of just continues on about, I mean, Tursky, I was like blown away reading the transcript um, he even went and <laughs> talked about physics. You know, he's, he's a, he's a big science guy. Um, he just says, I realized this for years now, this is, hasn't happened since 2016, 17, when players stopped drawing the golf ball, there's not very many golfers that draw it out here anymore. It's not because of spin rate. Everybody thinks it is we're at 2,800 8, spin or whatever. It's not, it's literally the physics and the way that we build the heads now. It's not the right design, meaning his driver, unfortunately, and we've been trying to fix it, and Cobra has been working their butt off to fix it. We just haven't had any results yet.
2: Mm. That's, a, that's a
0: scathing. That's a scathing attack on your own manufacturer. You are. You are the face. Look, oh, here's the thing. Let me let me just start off by saying this before before I go down before I before I start talking about Bryson, <laughs> we we being Golf Magazine Golf.com have a relationship with Bryson. He is a playing editor for Golf. Um, I wrote a story, and we'll kind of talk a little bit about this here in a minute. I'm sure about why I thought Bryson shouldn't have blamed Cobra for his driver limitations. Um, some people were surprised, again, because of our relationship. But I, I don't think that anything that I said was inflammatory. I think that it was all um, all numbers that that backed up some of these claims that Bryson was making. But it was in very poor taste. Uh, he was incredibly salty. It, it should not have happened. We never see pros go this route and just say the driver sucks. Even if you back it up at the end and say the Cobras have been working their butts off, you already— told everybody in the room and everybody watching on TV that your driver sucks.
1: It's just family business, you know, like it shouldn't have spilled over into the public. I'm all for like, you know, trying to push technology forward. And he is doing a lot of work behind the scenes with Cobra to try to get a face that works. But you can't bring all that to the public. Like you got to be in meeting rooms and work this out with the R&D team. Like you can't just blast your your manufacturer who one pays you. And two, they've been making custom prototype clubs for him for five years. These are clubs they can't sell to the public. You know, he's making like crazy wedge changes, four degree driver heads that no one else could play. You know, it's just, it's a shame that he wanted to, to blast them in that moment. Um, Yeah. But if you're, if you're a golf meme, if you're a meme maker on Instagram, this is exactly what you wanted to hear. Cause the memes oh, that there were some good coming ones out of out this there
0: too. Oof. Oh my gosh. There were some I saw, really I saw the one that, uh, seen.
1: the one was like probably the most accurate. It's just a photo of a Nike Sasquatch driver. And they were like, Tiger played this thing for years and never said a word about it. I think Bryson could play the, <laughs> the Cobra driver. Was just that so funny, that, was really, man. that was
0: really good. Um, but you know, look, Bryson, and this is not, I'm not making excuses for Bryson. He shouldn't have said what he said. Um, there are a lot of people at Cobra that work really, really long hours. One of them we'll talk about here in a second, but they work long hours. They spent a ton of time with Bryson trying to figure this out. Look, we we released three videos, a three-part video series, and we did some stories on what it's like to build gear for Bryson. And we showed you the prototypes. They're the, some of the wildest prototypes you'll ever see. Tursky hit the four-degree driver in a bunch of these prototypes, um, we saw how difficult it is to, to really perform like for the average golfer to do this. Now think about a guy who's swinging at 140 mile an hour plus. And so again, it, that was the part that I kind of, I, I kind of was like, man, why would you, why would you throw your own brand and all the people that are working just for you on this product? And, and one of them was, was Ben Showman who spoke to, to Golf Week, and, and this was probably the one quote that stuck out to me, Tursky, is Ben told them, everybody is bending over backwards. We've got multiple guys in R&D who are cadding this and cadding that. cadding meaning computer-aided design, trying to get this and that into the pipeline faster. Bryson knows it. It's just really, really painful when he says something that stupid. I don't think I, I can put it any better. I hear I him. too. He's the he one in never there. Tried to stick he's up for his... Brand. his...
1: He's spending his Saturdays, his Sundays. He's spending eight hours, like per head, trying to get these things dialed in, and he's sticking up for his Cobra team. So, while I'm sure he might regret at this point those quotes going out the way they did, going viral, um, he had his he had his team's back, and I think from for me and you, we've seen firsthand, um, just like the passion that Showman has. Together with Bryson, I mean, they're working together to try to make the best golf clubs they can. So it's just surprising that it kind of just exploded like that in the public. Now they have kind of a PR crisis on their hands and they just have to get in a meeting room together. Everyone at Cobra, get Bryson in there and just get on the same page. Okay, guys, this kind of exploded in our face. What just happened here? Let's try to figure out a solution going forward it uh Bryson it did, could go the apologize. other way hopefully it doesn't
0: yeah yeah Bryson did apologize um we'll kind of see how far that apology goes you know he is one of the biggest names in the sport but you know i don't i don't think there's any manufacturer out there that would just kind of let this slide i think there's going to probably be a lot of you know really hard conversations behind the scenes about about the things he said i i know Bryson's been dealing with a lot of additional pressures you know the the whole Bryson Brooks ordeal is is a big one. And I feel like that one just isn't going away, uh, you know? And, and Bryson is is a big name. I mean, he was in the, the previous, the match with Mickelson and Brady and Rogers. So clearly he's a big enough name to where they kind of are putting him in the spotlight. I mean, he's swinging it at, at swing speeds we have never seen before. And that's what I kind of talked about in, in my story is, you know, Cobra's essentially building a lot of these drivers on the fly. They've never, they, no manufacturer's ever had to build drivers for Tour Pro for long drive guys, sure. But never for a Tour Pro to kind of fit his game, his ever evolving game. You know, Bryson went from, you know, 170 miles an hour in ball speed to an excess of 200 in two years. I mean, that's that's a crazy jump. And when you do that, you're gonna have to change the way that you design products. And that's why they kind of had to erase the the whiteboard and kind of start over with a lot of these clubs. And that's, that was one of the things that I pointed out was, look, when you're, when you're doing this, when you're talking about living on a razor's edge, that's true, but you're wanting to hit it straight and you're wanting to, to improve these mishits. But, you know, if you want to say, be as, you know, be on the same line as a guy who's hitting at 270, but you're hitting at 321, um, you know, Cobra provided that Bryson needs to be upwards of 20% more accurate to keep it on the same line as the guy hitting at 270. Uh, and again, that's just because when you're going at speeds that high, your miss hits are magnified. If you just miss it like millimeters off. And and that was the other thing that I that I mentioned was, you know, what Bryson's trying to do, you know, he talks about hitting a straight ball, but his his preferred ball flight is a draw. You right. know he doesn't want to hit it
1: straight. Like if he wanted yeah. to hit it on a rope or hit a fade, I don't think any of this would be a problem, but he's well, kind of stuck I think stuck a fade on... would probably
0: be the better what fade would be the better option for him at at these swing speeds. You know, he could hit an auto fade with, uh, with the driver, but he wants to draw it. You know, and some of the difficulties with doing that is, you know, Bryson, because of his speed, he generates a higher dynamic loft. So he's around 18 to 20 degrees, whereas the tour average is at 15. And when you're going up, when you're getting higher, that's generating more spin. So how do you counteract that? You go to a lower driver. So Bryson gets a five and a half degree that can be lofted down to four degrees to lower the spin. And you're thinking, okay, well, that could work. Except for when you're trying to lower spin in the way that he is at these lower lofts, it becomes, I mean, you hit the driver. Could you hit, could you turn it over?
1: I could not turn it over. It was going way right, but it also had to do with the the shaft as well. He's he's playing an absolute two by four board. Yeah, yeah. So all like low loft, this
0: crazy stiff, LA golf product, um, and he's still you know trying to hit it off the toe to generate that draw, but it's just it's it's a combination that's never been done before. You can't, I mean, I should say you can't, you can't currently do this. Even Bryson has trouble doing it. And Cobra hasn't figured out the formula. And you know, you, you mentioned these things just to show the golfing public that what Bryson's trying to do, he's trying to create the perfect driver. And he may just have to come to terms with that, that look, any manufacturer you go to is gonna have driver limitations. And it doesn't mean that like one manufacturer is going to be able to fix this. You know, Cobra has a bunch of smart guys. Tom Olsovsky, who's their VP of R&D, is one of the smartest guys in the industry. Bar none, end a sentence, I will fight you if you say he's not. I mean, he, he's, in, he's, in my, he's in my top three for sure. Smartest dudes out there creating golf clubs. If you don't think that they have some bright minds there at Cobra, you're crazy. So- yeah, I, I I thought it was just really poor timing. It should have never have been said. As you as you mentioned at the top, man, it's family business. If you got if you got beef with the driver, talk to Ben, talk to To, talk to the guys that you work with on a regular basis over there. Don't air it in public. That was totally unnecessary.
1: Can't air it out there. Not on that stage. Just frustrations are boiling over right now for Bryson. Like you said just kind of dealing with the the newfound fame and the Brooksy stuff and trying to get this, uh, this driver figured out. He's, he's trying to redo bulge and roll. And like you said, he's hitting ball speeds over 200. He swings from six degrees inside out. Like there's not a concrete answer right now. If there was, I'm sure they would just prototype it and figure it out. Like they're working on it. You know, they're in the process yeah. of working on it. Bryson's part of that process. So <laughs> and you yeah. just can't can't air He's, it out at the open, man. No, nah, you
0: can't. I feel like that. I feel like that pretty much covers it from from all angles. We both agree it was it was in poor taste. It shouldn't have been said. But you know, we all live and learn. Look, I I make I've made plenty of mistakes in my life, Tursky. I'm pretty sure you could admit that you've probably made some mistakes as well, where you're like, man, if I could just take that back. And I'm sure Bryson feels the same way. He wishes he could take it back. He can't um, you know, and, and, and that's that, but it was, it was the biggest story. I'll be curious to see how kind of Bryson and Cobra coexist now that the damage has sort of been done. Like, how do you clean up the pieces and, and kind of, you know, like keep the, maintain the relationship. And I don't know, I'll, I mean, you and I spend a lot of time out on tour, so we'll kind of be able to, to at least maybe see from, from afar what, you know, what that's like, but, yeah, it was without a doubt the biggest story from last week from a gear perspective.
1: Yeah, I would say personally, like all the personalities under that roof just got to get together, get on the same page and then figure out the PR. You know, we're going to see how good their their PR team is to kind of turn the turn the tables, turn this thing around. But um Yeah. Yeah. Kind of just stay out of the spotlight right now, I would say for for yeah. Bryson kind of just go away, figure out figure out who you want to be to the public and who you want to be on the
0: Cobra team. For sure. It's a good way to, to put a bow on the, uh, the Cobra and Bryson story from last week at the open. Uh, I feel like it's a good opportunity now to get into this week's interview. If yes. you end up listening, if you end up listening to us talk, I'm looking at my, my podcast recorder right now. <laughs> if you're going to, it's good. This is going to be a lengthy one. Episode 100 should be a beefy episode, Right, episode there was a lot 100. going on last week. Yeah, there was a lot going on last week. We appreciate you listening to us kind of get through these topics because we just don't want to like quickly go through them rapid fire, especially the Bryson one. But let's get to this week's interview. Tursky, Chris and myself had a chance to go to Arizona. Well, I guess I went to Arizona. You guys live there. But to go and hang out with Alice Cooper, rock legend, the godfather of Shock Rock. He went through a ton of topics from his time out on tour To his the first time he met Ely Calloway, stories about hanging out. Uh, The Justin Timberlake story was a really good one. Yeah, there there are this this is by far my favorite interview that we've done. I'm glad it's going to be episode 100's interview. Can't wait for you to hear it. Let's get to it.
1: Before we get to our interview with Alice Cooper, we have a promo code offer here from Miura Golf. Since 1957, Mira has been making the world's finest forged golf clubs, and now you'll have the opportunity to capture that feel with an exclusive offer for our fully equipped listeners. Through the end of August, Mira is offering 10% off its entire online store using promo code FE10. That's promo code FE10. Head over to miragolf.com to build your new set today using promo code FE10. Let's get to Alice Cooper's interview now. All right, guys, so this week, very
3: special interview. A uh, friend of mine, we are here with Alice Cooper, and we are here at his new teen center. So, Coop, tell us a little bit, what is this teen center? What well, are we What are we doing here?
4: You know, I, um, I've always, uh, my biggest part of my career was to teenagers. And uh, so I figured it was time to give back to the teenagers. And, and the teenagers world right now is a lot more dangerous than it was when I was a teenager. Uh, Everything out there is pretty dangerous on the street I, I this place started very interesting i I was watching a very awkward drug deal go down between two sixteen year old kids on a bicycle, and it was just so obvious what was going on and I thought to myself, how does that kid not know he might be the best guitar player in town, and the other kid might be the best drummer? They've never had that that chance to do that you know they're they're kind of like Everybody's born into a different kind of blueprint of what, who they're going to be. What happens if we opened a place where they could come in and find what they're good at? You know, find your talent, you know? So we said oh, an all-purpose place, and it's got to be for free. we gotta, we got to say anybody from the, the most expensive house in Paradise Valley to, you know, to the worst house, any place, they're all invited. If you're a teenager, you're invited. We don't care if you're Taliban. We don't care if you're transgender. (laughs) We don't care who you are. If you're a teenager, we're not a church. We're we're Christian guys that put this together, but we're not a church. We're we're just here to provide this and maybe get kids going in a different direction from what the street has to offer. Mm -hmm. And it works. When I've seen kids go from being really, really, I mean, either dead or jail and now they're, you know, they're not in gangs, they're in bands. That's awesome. And that's a big difference. And girls, same thing. You know, I mean, girls are dancing now. They're, uh, they have poise now. They, they're, they're not this. They're, my wife teaches ballet and she makes them, when they go in for a job reference, they walk in with po- a positive looking thing. It's not just, yeah, I want a job. You know, <laughs> so it works at so many levels. Some of the kids that don't, can't play guitar or they're not artistic come in here and they go into the studio, and they're wired to know what to do. They go in there and they start playing with the dials, and I'm going, I've been doing this for 60 years, and I don't know how to work the dials in there. And a 15-year-old kid can do Pro Tools, (laughs) you know? And so that, I told him right up front, I said, if you can work Pro Tools, you are the second most important person in the studio. I said, because now recording is all done with Pro Tools. I said, you can make, started at three is six figures a year. So it's very vocational. Everything in here is very vocational, but even if it's not going to be your vocation, it gets you gets you going on a positive thing. You know, and that's really the whole idea.
1: I love it.
3: Absolutely love it.
1: I think uh like kids they deal with peer pressure and it's hard for them to be themselves especially in creative spaces like music and art. What yep. does it kind of mean for you to be able to provide them That opportunity was it tough for you growing up?
4: It just seemed to drop in my lap. You know, this whole idea just seemed to bloom. There you are. What are you going to do with it? You know, and and it just so happened that Cheryl and I, my wife and I, um, knew enough guys. And you know, one guy's a lawyer, one guy's a doctor, one guy's on the board, and we could network out and actually start getting the money to put all this together. Of course, we do the Christmas pudding. That's our show. Mm And then the the golf tournament, which is the other big, you know, money maker for us, and all of that is what is what makes this work. But to me, it was just a necessity. I, I looked at it and I said, "What is, what, what is, what do we, they took all of this stuff out of school? All the arts are gone mm. out of school. Sad. That's who we are now. And I think that's where kids really develop their personality. They don't d- develop their personality over algebra. No. They develop their Definitely. personality over what they're drawing, or what they're listening to, or what they're playing, or what the, you know. That's where the that's where your real personality comes in. So that's what this is for, you know.
3: I think I developed a lot of my personality skipping algebra. <laughs> that's probably. I think we, right. we all did. We had yeah. I had
4: girlfriends doing my algebra for me. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I was in a band. Come on, you got to be. Yeah, a band. That's kind of an
3: all-access. Yeah, band. I, I was Ferris
4: things, Bueller. So. I mean, you know. <laughs>
3: How, no, question.
0: I was just I was just curious. How you know how much has the, the music industry changed since you started till now? Like, what's what's the one thing that really is just incredibly jarring?
4: Record sales. Okay. And the, and the thing about it was was you know we were the next generation after the Beatles. We learned to write songs listening to the Beatles, who were the best on the planet. And so if you listen to Ozzy or Alice or Aerosmith our songs are very melodic they're hard rock but there's melody in there and there's lyrics and that it tells the story and the whole thing because we listen to the beatles now the next generation listen to us the generation after that listen to them the further you get away from the beatles generation wise the worse the songwriting gets and i always tell young bands they say what should we do and i said listen to the beatles i said then if you're angry write me an angry song but Write it the way a Beatle, the Beatles did, you know, and it works all the time. It, it, they can't do it most of the time. They want to just do a riff and a drum beat and scream at me, you know, <laughs> and I get it. Okay, that's as far as you're going to go in the business then because the only thing that keeps you going in this business is how good are your songs. If your songs are great, you'll go on. Look at Elton, you know, yeah. his songs. Look at, well, look at our, our, we had 14 top 40 singles on top of it being the theatrical thing that it is and the, you know, the right. dark comedy thing that it is, we had those singles that were out there competing with the Beatles and the Stones and everybody. If you don't have that, you're not going to be around very long. You know? So that's what we want them to do in here. We want them to learn how to write songs, not just riffs, write songs.
0: Where, where did that come from? I mean, you're, you're the godfather of shock rock. But it, it's like it's it's more than just going to see a show. It feels like when you when you go see Alice Cooper, it's like a performance. You yeah. know, it's it's there's a lot more to it. Where, where did that come from to just kind of like crank it up? Again, option?
4: it was a necessity. It was one of those things where I looked around, and we were as good a band as anybody out there. But you could be in the middle of that whole ocean of bands. What makes that one band stand out? What rock didn't have was a villain. Rock had all these rock heroes. They didn't have any villains. I, I said, all these Peter Pans and no Captain Hook. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'll gladly be Captain Hook. You know. And so the Alice Cooper thing was born at exactly the right time. Rock needed a villain, and I said, if it's going to be a villain, it's got to you know, it's got to have a sense of humor to it. And you know, the, at, at first the parents in the, the church and. Uh, politicians banning us everywhere you know uh, didn't get it till they saw the show then they saw the show and they went oh you know now it's a family show you know people bring their kids they bring their grand and they see it and they go oh it's really funny or it's really dark but it's funny and it's it's sexy but it's romantic and it's got a religious point to it and it's got this and that oh it's not just we, we they wanted to paint us into a corner and say oh they're satanic because i got a <laughs> snake on stage and i go vaudeville had snakes on stage back in you know the 20s it was just making the audience kind of like grow up and and finally listen to what see what we were doing finally then it became like oh, yeah, okay to see Alice Cooper but you know for a long while there we were like scourge of
1: (laughs) was it hard to deal with like the difference between Alice Cooper the stage presence and the person that you are
4: there were two entirely different people at one point there wasn't when I was coming up and we were getting successful you get drunk on that success Mm -hmm. and you know you're hanging out with the doors and you're hanging out with uh, the stones and people like that and you don't really know where you start and the character ends or who you're going to be that night. You know, you're going out to party with your friends and do I have to put makeup on? Do I have to to wear a snake? Do I have to... Because it was really confusing. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. When I got sober, I realized that the character I'm playing is a character. I'm not him. I play him on stage the same way I would play Dracula or the same way I would play any character on stage he doesn't really belong in this world he belongs on stage so when I leave the stage he stays there you know and then I can go to the movies and I can be myself and all this and it actually makes it even a better story you know this this sort of schizophrenia that's controlled but I now I talk about Alice in the third person you know like my producer and I and chef my manager will say uh, okay this this and this I don't think Alice would do that. You know, Alice wouldn't wear that, would he? And that's me talking. And I'm talking about Alice in the third person because he doesn't exist without us making him exist. So it's the same way with Lady Gaga. It's the same way with uh, almost every character you see on stage. When you see that person on stage, they're bigger than life and they're 10 feet tall. And then when you see them off stage, they should be just like you you know and that's what I I really had to get together was that and and now I can coexist with Alice very well yeah
3: that's too cool i know some of the uh some of the other big personas out there the the rob zombies and the marilyn manson some of the stories that you yeah. told me kind of over the years
4: I, they're so funny i mean we we toured with uh we had rob zombie and i did a a a, a Together and uh, <laughs> you know, you think, Oh, this Rob Zombie is so out there, he's the nicest guy in the world, very funny. Uh, and on stage, he's just terrifying, you know. But I had a dressing room next to his, and I'd, he'd be getting ready for the show. And there's this horrible disco music playing <laughs> from the 70s, you know. And I finally, I'd go, I'd go, What are you doing? And he goes, Oh, this stuff gets me off, man. This is how I get up, ready, and i going. What? What? <laughs> Disco music. He'll be talking to him. He says, yeah. He says, you know, I'm, I'm making uh, this movie, really horrific movies. And he said, but I really want to do like a kind of a frothy comedy with uh, Jennifer Aniston and Ryan Reynolds, you know.
1: <laughs> and I yeah, said, I want to yeah.
4: see that. Makes sense. You know. Why not? Yeah. No, but, but it, you'd be surprised <laughs> the the things that you would expect You know but you would never expect alice cooper in in those days alice cooper was either going to end up in jail or dead or something playing golf with phil mickelson you never would have seen that ever happen and but when i made the break i went okay i got to live my life and alice can live his life you know when did golf start coming into the picture for you you know it it was about the time that, you when you're on the road, you only have you 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 get into Wichita at seven in the morning. And you have all day because you're not working till nine o'clock that night. And golf seemed to be everybody I know that's in a band was an athlete of some sort. One one guy in my band was, was basketball. <coughs> one guy played baseball. One guy was they were all athletes. I mean, when you get on the bus after a show, it's ESPN. You know, it's not weird videos. It's, I had my team do tonight, you know. (laughs) But that's almost every band's like that. And golf is one of those things where you can be anywhere in the world and find a golf course. So my guitar player plays and my bass player plays and found out later on Iggy Pop plays, Dylan plays, Roger Waters plays, all the guys that you would never expect. Lou Reed, all ended up playing golf because it was such a release from what we do at night, you know, and it doesn't matter how good you are. It's just getting outside and playing for five hours, you know, and to me, I just, I said, if I'm going to play, I want to play good, you know, and I was a good baseball player, so I, I caught on very quick you know the game, like, yeah. and then I had to be a closet golfer because my fans hated it. <laughs> hated it. A the closet parents, golfer. Their parents played golf, right. and I was the mm-hmm. anti-parent uh, guy, I can see right? Can't be a golfer. And yeah. I said, "Well, okay, look at it this way." I said, "Your dad won't let you come and see me play, right? Yeah, right." Mention to him that I can beat him in golf, and all of a sudden there was a different respect. The father would say, what, <clears throat> he's a two-handicap? I well, ain't go see him. <laughs> yeah. like, all right, I guess he's okay. Get some swing tips yeah. from him while you're uh, I mean, yeah, you it, it's, it's there. Just, right? It's just yeah. funny that, you know, that once you, you, you called that one on the father, who was like the really conservative, you know, blah, 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 you know. He'd say, well, he can't be all bad. He's a two-handicap.
3: <laughs> Common ground. Oh, that's, a, that's a good way to kind of bring us into... Oh, when you started playing golf, and I know there is a long-established relationship with Callaway. Yeah. And little do people know how far back that relationship oh, goes.
4: It was, uh, well, thirty years almost now. Uh, I met Ely at a party, and I said, "Ely, hit the ball, Alice. I'm Alice." And he goes, "Oh man, I love that. That's great, man. <laughs> He's, we could do that. That's a great idea for a commercial, you know." And 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 the great thing about Ely Calloway was that everything he touched, he brought in something new. He'd say, well, how come they asked me a hosel? Why can't you just put the, you know, shaft right into the head? Well, I don't know. Let's try it. Big Bertha's born, right. The great big Bertha, you know. Uh, he was a, he was a, they called him Maverick because everything he did was against the book and it worked. You know, he, he said, uh, you know, the first time we did a commercial, I happen to know about commercials that you never use a snake in a commercial because people, <laughs> women will turn the commercial off. And long hair. So we're gonna do a commercial for the Tuttle Putter, you know, and me and Johnny Miller. And so I show up at the commercial, and my hair's tied back, and he goes, no, 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 it's the hair, I want all the hair, you know. And I get out on the, uh, where all the cameras are set up and there's a boa constrictor on the, golf cor- on the green. And I go, what happens here? And he says, well, you putt the ball, it hits the snake and goes in the hole. And, and then he says, nice putt, Alice. I said, this is going to take 12 hours. I said, just because the snake's moving all the time. You know, third take it went in. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the, the good thing about that is that now you've got 12 hours booked. There's a driving range there. And Johnny Miller and I are on the driving range. Let me see your swing. You know, and he really, I was one of his pupils. He says, everything's done with your hands. He says, don't change your swing, change your hands. You want to go high left, high right, duh, duh, low. Duh. He says, it's seven different positions of your hands. And he taught me all the positions. You know. and, uh, and so that way, he was my teacher. Johnny Miller, not a bad wow. teacher, you know.
0: Pretty decent, right there.
4: And then I met Mar- Rocco Media, Rocco Media, and I got to be really good friends. And Rocco really helped me out. And then the one that really helped me with my short game was John Daly. Really? John Daly, 60 yards in, was mm-hmm. the best, had the best hands of anybody. All those guys out there, you'd say, who's the best guy 60 yards in? They would go, John Daly. You know, I mean, and I, and, and this was when he was getting sober. And so anytime that we played a tournament, I was in his cart with a case of Diet Cokes. <laughs> and yes. there's so many John <laughs> Daly stories that are great. I mean, John Daly, with everybody out there on the tour wants John Daly to win. Because he's not the country club guy. He's the public mm-hmm. hot Wikipedia. dog, a beer, and a cigarette. While everybody's hitting balls, he's <laughs> And he's got more talent than all of them. <laughs> What's, i, I got to know, what's your
0: favorite John Daly story that can actually be repeated?
4: Um, well, I'll tell you something that's really interesting about John Daly is that his respect, the guys out there know how good he is. Tiger Woods talks about John Daly and says, John Daly's on his game, I wouldn't want to play him. You know, and Phil, everybody talks about John Daly like that. Uh, But he's exactly, he was Babe Ruth. You know, he was Babe Ruth. Everybody would come, it didn't matter if he was last place in the tournament, more people were following John Daly than they were anybody else because they wanted to see him hit it 300 yards. But there's so many stories. I mean, he was playing with a guy. This is just, this is him. And... A guy says, Oh, yeah, says, I like your watch. It was a gold Rolex. And he goes, Oh, here, you can have it. <laughs> and on the back of it, it says, you know, to John Daly, US Open winner, or I mean, a PGA winner, da, da da And that was him. He would just give it away, wow. you know. Uh, and if he had $5 and you needed $5, you would, would get the $5. The, one of the great stories that we played, the Bob Hope, and he has a band, okay, that's playing in a club that night. And I accidentally walked in. <laughs> and they're I didn't say accidentally. <laughs> and they were playing, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, Dylan's song that can go on forever. Oh, yeah. And he got me up on stage and I sang there and I'm singing, you know, not, 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 you knocking. I'm up for 20 minutes doing this song <laughs> and looking, going, is there an ending to this? And I see, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Timberlake walks in. And I went, because he was on my team. And I said, hey, come on over here. He comes over <laughs> and I hand him the mic. I said, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, because other thing he says, I was on that stage for an hour. I couldn't find anybody else to pass the microphone up to. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> hey, <Tim.
3: laughs> but I mean, you know,
4: John. John was great. He, he was everybody's best friend. And uh, I mean, he's like Keith Moon. You, there's everybody's got 25 stories about John Daly, you know, passing out on a pool table and waking him up and going out at first tee and shooting 63. You know. <laughs>
1: I love it. So back in the day, you were touring the country, obviously, playing, uh, touring the world, playing music and playing golf with all sorts of different uh, musicians and rock stars. What were kind of your uh, favorite people to play with? And what are some stories from uh, the music crowd playing well, golf?
4: Well, there, there's a couple of players that you would not expect, like Dweezil Zappa, Frank Zappa's son. Killer guitar player, amazing guitar player. Great stick. He can play. Uh, Damien from No Doubt, the drummer. Really? Scratch. Yeah, you don't want to play him. You know he's, he's, He takes the game as seriously as he does drums. Uh, a lot of country western guys play. And then there's the guys that like to play. Uh, Meatloaf. <laughs> Eddie Van Halen one time came up and he goes... I want to to play golf and I said well come over to Phoenix and we'll go out and play, you know So we played around and it was just, you know, horrendous and He says what about what about my game? And I said Eddie You are a great guitar player player. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes yeah, but what about me? I said Eddie you write great songs full stop (laughs) (laughs) And really in the end he says can you get me a lesson a guitar lesson with Glenn Campbell, because Glenn Campbell, anybody that knows anything about guitar knows how Glenn Campbell is one of the best ever. And these rock guys were going, could you get me a lesson with him? Eddie Van Halen getting a lesson from Glenn Campbell. You know. Wow. Uh, but the thing about Eddie that I liked is the fact that he kept playing. You know, he just, he, he kept going. Didn't, and, and I told him up front, it doesn't matter how good you are, just get out and play. You know, because you will eventually get better, you know. But we used to have a thing called the Fairway to Heaven, and it was uh, uh, all the rock stars and, uh, in Vegas. And it was a big tournament. I mean, it was a really big tournament. And uh, I played with the Callaway team. And it was John Daly and myself and all these guys from Callaway. And we won it six years in a row. <laughs> oh, my God! <goodness. laughs> so we didn't get invited back after but, but all the guys were out there, guys from Bon Jovi, guys from Motley Crue, guys from all these different bands. And you would be surprised. The heavier the band, I mean, bands that were like really heavy, monster death metal bands, three of them play golf. You know, <laughs> It's just that with all the tattoos, you, you, you know. You can imagine, we, we were in Japan, and when you have that kind of tattoos, that's Yakuza. Yeah, And, and my bass player is sleeves, you know. And they asked him to put a long-sleeve shirt on because the Japanese mm. people there were terrified, thought he was Yakuza. So all these bands that come over there from America with all these tattoos, I mean, <laughs> oh I think they're probably used to it now. Really but, you clothed. Know.
0: Wow. So I've heard you play golf almost every day.
4: Six days a week.
0: So what, I, I would love to know, what is it that you love most about this crazy game and what keeps you coming back and wanting to play so much just day after day after
3: day?
4: You know, it's, it's you, you would think that if you played six days a week for 30 years, you would have a pretty good handle on it. And yet, playing with Chris, I have great days and I have just days where I go, how come I can't get out of the sand trap today? You know, all of sudden, it's, it's, it's like playing guitar, it's like doing anything you never will ever conquer the game. And I said, and that's the fun of it. You know, I have days when I never miss a fairway, never miss a green. I have more fun when I'm behind a tree trying to figure out how to, do I hit a four iron here down and, you know. When you have to imagine, use your imagination in the game and then something that you do really well all of a sudden isn't there, all of a sudden your pitching wedge is over there. <laughs> You're going, what? These are my hands, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the game can't never be conquered. And there's nothing better than first thing in the morning. We play at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, hitting that first tee ball off, you know. And I'm, I'm like, you know, playing to probably four right now, four handicap. But that keeps the game interesting for me. I have just as much fun playing when I'm not playing well as I do when I'm playing well.
1: I think you're being humble. Chris says you hit the ball in an absolute string, that you never miss a fairway.
4: (laughs) That was the Johnny Miller thing. Johnny Miller says, look, he says, you're never going to win the long drive contest. He said, but I'm going to give you a swing that you can repeat and you're going to hit it 240 down the middle every day, all day. And it does frustrate the hell out of people. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Definitely <laughs> go, Do you be. ever miss a? I used to hit. I used to play with John Daly, and you'd look away, and he goes, "Ho hum." He, he says, "I don't have to ask where that went, right?" I that said, "No, not. it's down the middle." <laughs> he says, "My game's so much more fun than yours." Goes out here, and then it goes over there, and then bounces back in. <laughs> Is it a top secret
1: swing tip, or can you can you share the swing with us? You I want to hit fairly. He
4: just kept taking things out of my swing until it was a simple swing. Uh, You know, um, basically, here's your ball here. He says, this is where, I want you to hit it here, on the inside Inside of the ball. ball. So I have a natural draw now. My ball goes out and just draws a little bit into the, and I I don't even know how, but that's my swing now. And I hit a high softball, sort of a little bit right to left. But it's pretty much 90%, you know. And it does drive people crazy. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't hit irons. I hit Excuse all me? hybrids. Really? I hit all hybrids.
1: There we go. So like no nine iron, no eight iron. No. All hybrids. All hybrids. Like yeah. what's your highest
4: lofted hybrid? My, my I have a nine uh, <laughs> hybrid, but I do I do the only irons I have is wedges. You know, uh, but to me, hybrids are so much easier to hit <coughs> than irons, and especially, you know, I, hit, I used to play irons all the time. When I got to be 60, I started going, why am I hitting a three iron? I'd rather hit an 11 wood. You know, I was 11, always I, a better, I, my bag is all woods. I mean, it's a driver to the 11 wood. And then, uh, then I six hybrid, seven hybrid, eight hybrid, nine hybrid, and then wedges
3: this is a four mm-hmm. handicap. I was about but to say that. You play that. six right. days a week. Case,
4: hybrids cl- and woods.
0: case closed <laughs> on people who say that you can't play a full bag of oh, hybrids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. No,
4: I've been playing hybrids for 20 years. You know, it's, it's like my favorite thing in the world. It, it's so much more solid. Um, and you can get hybrids where you really can't shank the ball. You know, the That's design true. of them where you honestly can't shank them. And you can chip just as well. Well, you have your wedges to chip with. You know, uh, hundred and you know, approach wedge, pitching wedge. You know, uh, that's the easiest. That's the easy part of the game, really. But that's where all the scoring is. So, right. You know. I was, go for it.
3: I was telling these guys, longest tenured player with Callaway, oh, yeah. longest tenured staff member, and your club collection. So tell these guys. It's it's kind of a a time capsule of the evolution of Callaway. My
4: my golf room looks like a Callaway outlet, (laughs) or even a Callaway museum, because they started sending sending me clubs when they first started. And Ely started even gave me a couple of the old persimmon uh, persimmon Callaway driver. Oh wow! Which is about three of them in the world, you know. And they gave me all this stuff that they were. Well, this is a great story about Ely. Okay. Where the ERC came out, we were talking, and I said, "Yeah, you know, the funny thing was about our career was, as soon as they started banning us, trying to ban us in England, we sold out every ticket, and the record went right to number one, because we had to see what this was. We had to, you know." Right. And he says, "So, if I made a driver that would go." Ten yards further, fifteen yards further, and it cost six hundred dollars. This is back when drivers cost two fifty. Cost six hundred dollars, and it was illegal. I said you wouldn't be able to make enough of them, and of course they banned it. It was one one thousandth of an inch that didn't specify, which it's a trampoline effect. You have to swing it exactly this amount of time, and it, you know the average guy's not going to really get that much out of it. But it's a good driver, but they're not going to get that trampoline effect unless they're swinging pretty hard to get the ball to, you know, jump. So they banned it in America, but they didn't ban it all over the world. His biggest audience is the world, globally. not just America. Right. So sure. <laughs> he made a fortune on it. But when he first made it, he sent it to me. He says, uh, I want you to hit this. And I said, Okay. And he says, you hit it down the middle all the time. He said, I want to see if this... So I was their Iron Byron. I would get the club before any of the pros would get it. And I would take it out, and I'd play six days. And I'd go, I'm pushing it right for some reason. He said, okay, send it back. And he'd send it back to me then. And he said, try that now. I think, yeah, I'm hitting it straight now. So I was thinking, and the pros, we told. I said, "What is that?" And I go, "You can't look at that."
1: You you'll <laughs> so you'll see it a little bit. Yeah. The touring pros, I would say, I can't show
4: you. I said, so "Just Ely and I know about this, okay?" That's but you know, idea. I'd send him pictures like at the British Open, where Nicholas is hitting the ERC. Mm. And Nicholas had his own set of clubs. Palmer, all of them, were hitting the ARC driver because they could make it go 15 yards further. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was in Europe; it wasn't in the states. So that was just a, a, an idea of. Uh, you always think of a guy that thinks outside the box. He didn't know there was a box. He, was, he would always just come in, well, why can't we just do this? Okay, let's do it. Yeah.
1: So you guys are actually more similar than you are different. And you were on the research and design team, basically, at Cowboy. I got to the be sounds of it. in the
3: closet. My other
4: favorite story was this. Was, I'm playing at uh, Champions Gate, just some friends, uh, in Orlando, at Ledbetter's place, and Ledbetter was in a lot of commercials with us, so I'm out there and I see these three carts coming. And it's uh, Arnold Palmer, and all these Japanese guys, and he's got this club with him, you know, and he drives up and he's with Callaway now, and he goes, "Alice," and I go, "Hey, good to see you," you know, and he says, "Here's the new pu- driver," he says. Show him how to hit it. <laughs> like, nope. You show him how to hit it. You're Arnold Baldwin. <laughs> you know. So I hit it. And I hit it right down the middle. I really clocked it really well, you know. And I got I, I said that feels great. I haven't even seen that one yet. And he said he looks at the guys, He says he's he, he's our test dummy here. He, he does all of our test stuff. You know, coming from all Arnold. Baldwin. <laughs> yeah. And I went over to him. I said, never do that to me again, okay? <laughs> he said, ah, oh, you hit more fairways than anybody, you know. <laughs> He was great. I really liked him. He was, he was like everybody's cool uncle. You know, I was always surprised he didn't go, here, it's $5 put it in the pot. Don't let your mom know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: that, so that type of environment, when you get put on the spot by Arnold Palmer, hey, we need you to hit this in front of the, these investors yeah. or these guys. Yeah. How does something like that compare to getting up on stage in front of a sold-out auditorium, you've got 100,000-plus people watching you.
4: You know, it all, it, it all comes down to, to if you know what you're doing. And when I get on stage, I, I feel more at home on stage than I do off stage. When I'm in front of an audience, like, okay, I'm home now. This is, this is in fact, I play my best golf at the Phoenix Open because there's 150,000 people there. And so I better perform that day, you know? I remember one, one year I had six birdies on the, at the Phoenix Open because there was an audience there. Now, if they wouldn't have been there, I might have had one. You know, but because there was an audience, it was a performance to me. It wasn't just a game. It was now I, be- I better, better nail this. You know, uh, so it's the same thing. If you play six days a week for thirty years, I don't care what you're doing. You're going to get really good at it. You know, and getting up on the tee to me is like getting on stage. I know I'm going to hit it in the middle. You know, so that's not even a thought. Must be nice.
3: But, <laughs> but it's only
4: because that I've now, I've forced myself into that's just a muscle memory thing. It's like a muscle memory, Now, okay, back, keep the head down, stay behind it, let it go. You know, and, and you know, I mean, it's, it's... Now, there's other technical parts of the game that I'm not that good at at all, you know. But I know I can hit it off the tee. <laughs> the more people there, the better. Because I'll always hit it really good if there's more people there. If there's nobody there, I'll <laughs>
2: yeah,
3: Not focused, who cares? It's just, it's no big deal.
4: So you, you've seen
0: Callaway from the beginning until now. I mean, that's, that's a huge evolution of driver technology, especially. Yeah. I, I'm curious, what is your favorite Callaway club that you've hit during your time with Callaway? Do you know,
4: I, I would still, every once in a while, he knows this, I'll go out and I'll bring out a biggest, big Bertha. Driver, it's a good one, yep. a good one. and uh, and it is so easy to hit, and that thing goes right down, and it has a great sound to it. it makes that little, tick, that little click, yeah. you know. And, and I could, if I, if somebody said, I kind of figured, <laughs> you, you can take any of these drivers, and they're all good drivers. They're all great. I might go for the biggest big Bertha, you know, with with the right shaft in there. Right. So but got the right that shaft. that head is just so good. And, and the steelheads were really good, too. The original That's steelheads gorgeous. were really, really good. Uh, I mean, you, people like uh, Annika, you know, when they brought all the new equipment in, she goes, I've won 50 tournaments with these. I'm not taking these <laughs> out of my bag. She had Why the steelhead irons. And, some, and, and Rocco had a, a four and a seven steelhead plus that he w- wouldn't take out of his bag. He said, I won too many tournaments with these. Why would you change? You know, yeah,
3: it goes back to that. Not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I mean, no. you know, I know we've been uh, we've been at it for a little while. I know you have other obligations today, so we can wrap it up. Yeah. If you guys uh, any other questions or
0: I just I just have one. I mean, you've you've
4: played all over the globe. Favorite golf course? Oh wow, That's so much! It's like picking your favorite child. <laughs> you know, anytime, that, anytime that you've played, you know, Cypress Point, you know, you're you're kind of going okay. I belong to one in Maui called McKenna, uh, in, in Maui, that's my favorite course. It's a discovery course, but it's like, it's like playing in paradise. I mean, you're, you're on the tee. If you're a member there, you can wear cut-off shorts, no shoes, no shirt. Uh, there's whales coming out of the water, there's rock and roll blaring. And you look ahead of you and there's Spieth, Rom, Ricky, all those guys are out there. And they're all like, you know, and one, I think uh, Ricky shot 59, Rom shot 60. And they're getting ready for the big tournament, you know, right. at Kapalua, but yeah. they all play at McKenna. So cool. if you're a member there, you can do anything you want to <laughs> You mm-hmm. want to play nine guys? Okay. Who sure, cares? Why not? go but I mean it's not just that the golf course is spectacular it's and the weather is 84 degrees every single day it never rains and the wind is barely there so when you when you're at Kapaloo you're getting blown off the course you know and it's fun Kapaloo is a lot of fun to play but if you want to just play like every single day on the same course that was the one you want to play at McKenna a so
1: nice trip cur- to Hawaii. Yeah. we we got to go to McKenna. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just curious about. Uh, I know you have a new album out now, Detroit Sounds. How did that kind of come together, and why the callback to uh, Detroit?
4: Well, again, it was almost a. Uh, um, people think I'm I'm nostalgic because we broke out of Detroit. I mean, our biggest, our first album that was a big hit was for, out of Detroit. Everything happened out of Detroit, and it's the 50th anniversary of that album, but we didn't even know that. Hmm. But we, I told my producer, I said, we want to make a real hard rock album. So, can't really do that in Nashville. Can't really do that in LA. Can't really do that in New York. The only place you could really make that album is Detroit, because that's the home of hard rock. So we went to Detroit, wrote the album in Detroit about, about the characters around Detroit and people I knew and everything. And then we used all Detroit players. I used guys from MC5 and I used guys from Grand Funk and, you know, all these great players. Put a band together and did it all live in the studio. And to my surprise, it debuted at number one. I mean, I went, what? I mean, I was not expecting that at all. So every 48 years I try to have a number one album. (laughs) (laughs) My last one was Billion Dollar Babies in 73. So I said, okay, I'm trying to figure out when the next one is.
1: That's great. Congratulations on that. Yes. But it's a, awesome.
4: it rocks the album. Bob Ezra, my producer, is a genius. You know, he, he's, he's just an absolute genius at putting all this stuff on and getting, getting the sounds and making it sound great. So, it, you know, we're working on two, two new albums right now, actually. <laughs> um, nice. That album is, is only two or three months old, and we're already working on the next two albums. May as well. Yeah. Stay. not turtle. Busy man. So, yeah.
3: if, if you're home, may as well. Yeah. So, well guys, this has been a lot of fun. This has yeah, been awesome. So good. much fun.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad Thank you guys like the place. This is yeah. my this first is time seeing the new one. The, the the original one is over on Thunderbird and that's about twice the size. Wow. This one. Yeah. But uh, this one will be great. We want one in Tucson. We need one in Tucson. We need one in Flagstaff. You know, Arizona needs one in every major city.
0: Agreed. It's awesome that you support the teens. Really? yes
4: yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We'll get a golf program somehow.
3: I'd be more than happy to help.
4: Yeah.
1: I mean we know a couple guys. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. We <laughs> could make that happen. Oh, I
4: can believe me, I'll I'll be leaning on you for that. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> you just gotta set up a golf net in here. Get a that's launch it. monitor, get it going.
3: <laughs> Working on it. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. All right, thank my you. friend. All right. We will be seeing you
4: on the golf course tomorrow. Tomorrow. Legend Trail, right? Thank that's you it. so much. That's you're gonna love Legend time. Trail. It's so much fun.
0: And that'll do it for episode 100 of Fully Equipped. The century mark, man, we made it. It's all downhill from here. If you want to get more gear news from us on social, you can always find us at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram, and we're at Fully underscore equipped on Twitter. Thank you seriously for listening to this podcast. It means the world to us. Catch us next week when we talk about more gear news.
2: See you around.